Good evening. Welcome to Pigeon Post. My name's Michael. And I gotta be honest, I am just really drained right now. Um, physically sleep deprived, emotionally drained for many different reasons. Um, I was talking to a friend today who um, seemed to be having a hard time. And then when I got off the phone, I found out something else that kind of had me having a difficult time. And so, yeah, sometimes you don't want to read the Bible. And that's just the reality of life. You know, I think sometimes we get this plastic version of Christianity where you're supposed to be smiling all the time and um, hashtag blessed and all that stuff. But um, I think we're going to see in John chapter 16 something really relevant. And when we're talking about reading the Bible existentially, it's kind of good to come to this chapter feeling pretty crappy or feeling confused. The disciples are really confused. And sometimes when I read the word, especially this section, there's some things Jesus says. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, why doesn't he just say it more plainly? (laughs) The disciples are going to express that. So we're in good company. And if you're kind of feeling the way I'm feeling, you're in good company um, with me, with the disciples and with everybody who tries to be honest when they come to the word of God. And I think God wants us to bring our hearts as they are. He doesn't want them to stay as they are, as we're going to see. Um, all I did this time was I just wrote down four, four verses or quotes, like bullet points from this chapter. And I think I'm going to just try to stick with those because that's about all I can muster tonight. Um, first bullet point, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That wasn't very encouraging, probably. Um, Yeah. Imagine being a disciple and hearing Jesus, who you think is about to take over the world, say, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. That might cause you a um, a bit of distress. Then he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus is like, not only are people going to come kill you, um, I won't be there. I'm, I'm going to be gone and, you know. <laughs> That's not very encouraging to hear, right? But there are two other bullet points um, that we'll get to as Jesus is kind of explaining what's going to happen. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Wow, their sorrow will turn to joy. Does that mean that the people then aren't going to kill us? Nope, doesn't mean that, right? In fact, the, the fourth bullet point is the last verse in this chapter. It says, in the world, you will have trouble. Jesus is very upfront and open that choosing the Christian life, choosing to follow him, is not going to be the easy road. It's it's not going to... Oh, I hate to keep picking on Joel Osteen, but... It's not going to feel like every day is a Friday 
It's not going to feel like your best life now. Sometimes you're going to feel like you want to go back to the other life that was easier before everybody in the world hated you. You're coming out of a massive family that you were born into, the world, where you all have the same desires. We have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we can all relate to each other really easily because we're all fleshly sinners and we don't want anything else but what we want. Um, but when you come out of that into the family of God, it's awesome. But it's also a little disorienting because you're now in a smaller um, group of people and now being in the world is, is more troublesome in some ways than it was before. Um, so we should never promise people that, hey, if you come to Jesus, like everything's going to be roses. No, not until heaven. And it's very much not going to be roses in some ways, but not in every way. So we're going to see that too. We're going to see the ways um, Jesus has already called the Holy Spirit the comforter, the helper, the advocate. So spiritually, it is much better. And I think that dichotomy between flesh and spirit explains some of the tension that we might feel when we're reading this chapter. But anyway, that last verse says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So while Jesus is telling them, hey, you're going to get killed and people are going to think that they're doing the right thing while they're killing you. And Jesus says, and I'm going to go away but it's to your advantage. And Jesus says, you're going to be so sorrowful, you're going to feel like a woman in labor, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And then he says, in the world you will have trouble, and I think this last phrase makes the whole chapter worth it, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't think there's anything more encouraging than that statement on the words of Christ. Even though the disciples didn't understand everything he was saying, they understood clearly that he has overcome the world. So let's dive into John chapter 16. The Gospel of John Chapter 16 I have said these things to you, so that you wouldn't be caused to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time comes that whoever kills you will think that he offers service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have told you these things, so that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have told you these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Counselor won't come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. When he has come, 
he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. About sin, because they don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to my Father, and you won't see me anymore. About judgment, because the prince of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak from himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you things that are coming. He will glorify me, for he will take from what is mine and will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will declare it to you. So, uh, this phrase, they will put you out of the synagogue, kind of reminds us of the, what the blind man's parents were afraid of. They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And then whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Um, that's what they thought they were doing by killing Jesus. And remember, they had planned to kill Lazarus as well. So these things we already see happening in John, and the persecution of the church just got worse um, after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended. Jesus is warning them of these things beforehand so that when it happens, they'll remember that he told them that, and that will strengthen their faith. But he's going to do something else. He says, it is your, to your advantage that I go away. And the reason why it's their advantage is because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty awesome. We would think if we had the choice that we would want to see Jesus in bodily form. Um, but Jesus actually says that it's the Holy Spirit that um, is even better to have in this regard. And what's he going to do? Jesus tells us some things that the Holy Spirit's going to do. Well, he's going to convict the world um, just like he's convicted each one of us that have turned to Christ. There was a time in your life where you weren't convicted of sin. You just sinned, and just as if it was natural, because it was. And I did too. Um, so is everybody who's not born again, just sinning because it's natural. But then something happens. The Holy Spirit shines a light, and you get convicted of your sin. And... Um, now, he's specifically referencing the sin of not believing in him. Um, but we could apply this more broadly to any sin that's in our life. It's the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin and makes us seek to turn away from sin and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He also um, will convict the world of righteousness. Um, you know, when you see your sin, you realize that you're not righteous and you realize that you need somebody righteous. Um, you realize that God is righteous. And the only way that God can be righteous and allow, you, allow us off the hook um, is not to just say, oh, I forgive you, boys will be boys. And then we come back five minutes later, oh, I'm sorry, God, I did it again. Oh, I forgive you, boys will be boys. 
but to look at all of our sin and all of our brokenness and say, you know what, you're never going to be righteous in and of yourself, but my son is righteous. And I'm going to convince you by the Holy Spirit of his righteousness as being the thing that you need in order to have your sin forgiven and covered. So um, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Um, Jesus is not right here in front of us um, at this point because he says he's going to go to the Father. So the Holy Spirit is the one that's there to conv convict us and convince us of how righteous Jesus is. Even though we, we can't see him, we believe on him. And we'll, we'll see uh, that idea jump out later, pretty soon here in John. Um, and then lastly, the Holy Spirit convict, convicts or convinces of judgment. Um, Jesus references here the fact that the ruler of the world is judged. The devil is not seen as cool anymore when you come to Christ. Um, when you see your sin, when you see the righteousness of God, you see the devil as, um, and really all the sinful desires, wherever they originate in the world, as being under judgment. They're not, they don't really hold the same appeal that they did before. Um, so these are things that are the work of the Holy Spirit. He also guides us into truth. So, um, you know, it's always very suspicious um, when uh, someone or some group of people uh, claims to kind of have the market cornered on the Holy Spirit, and yet there's not a lot of truth being said um, in the group. That's, that's very suspicious. You would think that if... Um, we were so in touch with the Holy Spirit that we would be saying true things. And I think that's a real simple thing that we can look for in our own lives. And a way to look for um, a good church is to look for truth. If you're hearing a lot of truth from scripture, um, there's, there's a good chance that that is something that's of the Holy Spirit. Um, but whereas if somebody's just like, oh, I, I love the Holy Spirit, but... I don't really care about the Bible too much or really what it says. I'm just going to pick and choose verses and kind of make my own truth. Well, that's not the Holy Spirit because Jesus tells us um, what the Holy Spirit does. So once again, just like we mentioned a few podcasts before, um, can't take Jesus and not take his words. Well, you can't take the Holy Spirit and change his characteristics. Jesus is telling us exactly what the Holy Spirit is like. Um, and then last thing I just wanted to underline there is, um, it says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does not glorify himself. He doesn't um, write his name in the sky. He, the Holy Spirit would rather write Jesus's name in the sky. The Holy Spirit would rather Jesus's name be on um, um up at the top for everybody to see, uh, up in lights. The Holy Spirit's job is to give us eyes to see Jesus, right? Jesus shows us the Father, and the Holy Spirit illuminates our eyes to show us Jesus. And this is the Trinitarian, the way that the Trinity works. And you can't flip that around. It's, it's not, the, the Father didn't die on the cross, right? And, and uh, Jesus didn't come to glorify the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the opposite. Jesus died on the cross. And the Father um, sends the Spirit 
to glorify Jesus. All right, so um, with those thoughts out there, we are going to see about how our sorrow will be turned to joy in the second part of John 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, continued. A little while, and you will not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you won't see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he says, a little while? We don't know what he is saying. Therefore Jesus perceived that they wanted to ask him, and he said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves concerning this, that I said, A little while, and you won't see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Most certainly I tell you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman when she gives birth, has sorrow because her time has come. But when she has delivered the child, she doesn't remember the anguish anymore for the joy that a human being is born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day you will ask me no questions, Most certainly I tell you, whatever you may ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. But the time is coming when I will no more speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, And I don't say to you that I will pray to the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Behold, now you are speaking plainly and using no figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the time is coming, yes, and has now come, that you will be scattered, everyone to his own place, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace, In the world you have trouble, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. Okay, so Jesus has a way of turning things around. That's what redemption is, isn't it? Redemption is a buying back of something that was lost. We were once slaves to sin, but now we've become slaves to righteousness, I believe Paul says. 
We were once outside of the family of God, and now we are inside of the family. We're outside of the sheepfold, and now we're in the sheepfold. Um, that verse, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So this is a joy that is unstealable or untakeable or unshakable. It can't be taken, but it is preceded by sorrow. Right? And when he says, ask and you will receive, we usually stop there when we quote that verse. <clears throat> but Jesus is talking to the disciples whom he just told them that they um, would get killed for his sake and that they were going to, he's about to tell them they're going to have trouble in the world. But if we read the whole verse, it makes it more clear. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So God wants to give us joy. He's in the business, so to speak, of changing sorrow into joy, of changing trials into gold, as uh, I believe the Keith Green song says. Um, I wrote this thing on the side of the margin here. No one can take the joy of one who has believed the gospel, sorrowed at the crucified, and rejoiced at the resurrected Christ. Um, that whole idea of the Holy Spirit bringing to light sin and righteousness and judgment, um, until we see Christ as our Savior, that's bad news because we're going to see our sin, we're going to see the righteousness of God, and then we're going to know that we're going to be judged because we can't stand before a holy God. But if the Holy Spirit illumines us and glorifies Christ, and we, we look at that same message and say, wait a minute, I am a sinner, right? But Jesus never sinned. And I'm not righteous. I can't stand in God's presence, but Jesus can. He is righteous. And I deserve judgment. I'm, I'm deserving of hell because of my sin. But Jesus uh, both took our judgment and, as he says here, judged the ruler of the world, judged Satan and um, the, the sort of king, you could say, of the world system. So um, God's in the business of changing sorrow into joy. And he's in the business of maximizing that joy. Um, Jesus says several times that he's talking to them so that their joy would be full or complete or maximized. Um, lastly, that verse I think is so huge. It's just a great one to memorize. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So I just want to challenge us today, tonight, whenever it is you're listening. Is your joy complete? Is it like a cup overflowing? Sometimes, like I said earlier, mine's not. Right now, it's definitely not. Um, I just want to go to bed more than anything else <laughs> and sleep. And we will see that from the disciples as well. Um, Actually, I don't know if we'll see that in this, in this particular gospel. Maybe it's in the other gospels where they fall asleep in the garden. 
Um, John kind of um, wraps things up a lot quicker than some of the other Gospels, so we might not actually see that. Um, so remember what the whole point of all this is. It's to glorify Christ and that he would give us peace and joy and love. So this is the good news that Jesus is unfolding for us. And um, I guess we could take that question where Jesus says, do you now believe? And I would ask you, you know, do you now believe? And I would ask myself that. And um, we need to get in the habit of asking more people that. Um, so anyway, uh, I feel like there was something else I wanted to say, but I think it's probably gone now. So I might mention it at the beginning of the next podcast, if I can remember it then. And thanks for listening. I hope you have um, a lovely evening. And we'll see you next time in John chapter 17.